Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Good morning, my name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Excited to be continuing through week two of our series through part of the book of Genesis as we look at the story of Abraham. Now I'm just curious as we begin, uh, this series is really about the journey of faith for a man who really lived 4,000 years ago. It was a journey of faith. And I'm curious today to help us understand a little definition of faith. I'm curious just to do a quick survey here. Has anybody used one of these? I know this is Colorado, so hopefully it's pretty good. Maybe it was rock climbing or a, a ropes course or a zip line. Raise your hand really high. Have you used one of these before? Okay, great. A few, most of us. Yeah, this is Colorado. Uh, I, I remember moving to Colorado 11 years ago with my wife and uh, meeting some new friends here and going rock climbing with them. Now, when they asked, hey, let's go rock climbing, I had something in my mind from my past experience. In Minnesota, you go rock climbing indoors. That's what you do. It's cold. 
And it's a very controlled environment. There's air conditioning and there's lots of experts there. And it's kind of a fake wall. And you know the handholds that are brightly colored and they're large. They fit my hands just perfectly. And I, I pick the course that fits you know, a size 12 shoe and rock climbing's great. Well, we went with some new friends that were natives of Colorado. You might remember uh, Mike and Mary McCookie, some of you know them, and they took us out rock climbing on a real cliff. I remember uh, we, we hiked there, it was at the base of, uh, near Horsetooth Reservoir. We hiked to the base of this cliff and we're looking up and then Mike grabs one of these ropes, just like this, and he, he walks away. He hikes to the top of the cliff, and 10 minutes later, a rope drops from the top of the cliff. Now, I had his 10-minute walk back down to start examining this rope. And I spent a lot of time thinking and studying this rope. I mean, this was really different for me, and I had, I had actually built up quite a few questions for Mike before he'd even come back to me. So when Mike came back, I said, hey, Mike, this rock climbing thing, tell me, um, what did you attach the rope to up there? And, and he explained, oh yeah, it's at the top, and I'm, I'm listening, I'm, okay. I said, Mike, and this is your rope, yeah? Tell me about this rope, how was it made? And have you used this rope before? And how much weight does, you know why I was asking all those questions? Because I was looking around, I was the heaviest guy there. And I recognized it, that this rope might hold Mike and these other ladies, but it might not hold me. I had lots of questions. And maybe you've been there before at the top of a ropes course. And before you've stepped out, you've got the harness on, and you start asking questions about, will this thing hold me? I had a lot of questions. And it's funny, it's a, it's a little bit like faith. You see, I could have stayed there and studied the rope for hours. I could have figured out what kind of fabric it's made of. I could have learned about its length and the diameter, figured out where it was manufactured. I could have gotten a group together and studied the rope in a group weekly in someone's home. I could have learned Greek and Hebrew to better understand the original language of how the rope was written and made. I could have studied everything about the rope, but the reality is I'll never learn to rock climb until I put on a harness and put my weight on the rope. And a lot of times this is how us as Christians treat faith. We come together, we hear sermons, we go to studies. We have studied faith a lot. We know lots about faith. We know every angle of faith. We study books of the Bible in groups. We know faith in Greek and Hebrew, but faith is not something we mentally agree with. Faith is not learned until it's tested, until you lean on the rope. And that's what this series is about. It's a journey of faith for a man who didn't sit in a room that was air conditioned and study faith. He gave up everything. He put on the harness and he tested this God who said, follow me. That was faith for Abram. And it wasn't just given to him. Abram had to learn faith just like a muscle. He had to develop it. And so over these chapters, over the next few weeks, we're gonna see Abram develop 
faith. Learn it. And this is my prayer for you. I was praying for you this morning that you would not learn about faith today. I don't want you to go home with more facts about faith. That's not what you need. You need the Spirit of God to prick your heart to say, get in the harness and will you trust me? And it's like how Dale kicked off last week and and called us to a radical step of faith. He had this card about our vision for the next four years, this strategic plan. There's not much that's radically new about this vision. We're gonna make disciples. Newsflash, it's the great commission of Jesus. What's radically new is we're inviting you through this card that many of you have filled out to really contemplate, am I over the next four years gonna study this strategic plan or am I gonna put on a harness and see God move in my life? Am I gonna take a step of faith? And, and Dale was bringing the heat last week. Holy cow, Dale. He was just up in my chili. He said, look, are you gonna answer the call of faith? And, and one of the things he said, you either need to obey, you need to commit, or you need to deal with your excuses now. Woo, Dale, love it. Because God's not calling us to study. He's calling us to depend on the rope. That's what this series is all about. Faith is the process of learning to trust God in everyday life. That's what faith is. I wanna unpack for us then from this definition, what lessons can we learn from the story of Abraham today, even in Genesis 13 today? And so I'll pose the question this way. How do we walk by faith today and not by sight? How do we walk by faith? We need to start to trust the rope today and lean in and put our weight on it. I see today in our text three different principles that I want to draw out from this narrative and then I want to go look at the New Testament and find um, commands that support that principle that affirm, yes, this is a principle that we can stand on. There's three of them today for how we can grow our faith. And our main question is how can we learn to walk by faith and not by sight? Remember that last week we saw in chapter 12 that Abram was slowly learning faith, but he, he wasn't out of the gate in a sprint. It was kind of a slow start, in fact, when the gun went off. <laughs> he had to learn it. Remember, God calls him away from his land, and the author of Genesis isn't shy about showing the reality of who Abram was with all of his blemishes. We see right from the very start that God calls Abram to abandon abandon his family completely and set out and follow me. But Abram, he does leave, but he brings along his family. In fact, his nephew Lot comes along with him. So he he kind of trusts God. He he leans into the harness a little bit, but he's he's indoors still, the fake rock climbing wall. And then we see immediately in the first chapter of being introduced to this man, Abram, he stumbles pretty terribly. He's finally made it to this land that God has called him to, and the moment that a famine occurs, he's out of there with with no reference to God. He doesn't trust him. He flees to Egypt to go and rely on himself and try to provide for himself and his family. And what's worse, when he gets to Egypt, he lies immediately. He uses deceit to try and work his way into Egypt and out of fear. 
This is the first chapter of the great father Abraham, and he's failing spectacularly. You see, Abram is going to take very small steps of faith in the beginning that will grow later, and you'll see at the end of our series that by the end he's taking large leaps of faith in trusting the rope, in trusting the rope. This is the story of Abram and his journey. Well, at the end of chapter 12, we see that he's lied, but Pharaoh's learned about the lie about his sister, his wife, and he's been sent out of Egypt, and that's where our story picks up in chapter 13. So the first question we have today about Abram's faith is how do we then walk by faith after stumbling? How we walk by faith after stumbling? This is the moment, the beginning of chapter 13 is that question for Abram. He has stumbled tremendously. He's really screwed it up. And we have to ask, what's he going to do next? He's already messed it up. He's not in the promise then, he's lied, he's not trusted God. What would he do next? Look what we see Abram doing in verses one through four. Look at the text with me, with your eyes. In verses one through four, we see this. Now. Abram returned to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, to the place where he had made an altar at first. Amazingly, Abram feels compelled to return to the place where he had first began, a place of worship and a place of committed trust to God. And the the reason that he can do this is because Abram is learning that God is a God of grace, which means after stumbling, we can begin again. That's the principle here. Because God is a God of grace, we can begin again, and that's exactly what Abram does. He goes right back to where he had first made an altar and worshiped God and dedicated himself to him. He returns and he worships. Now this probably wasn't like a really happy, clappy praise service. This was an animal sacrifice with repentance and humility before God. Confessing sin and saying, God, I've messed up. Bring me back to the place of faith. Bring me back to trusting you. I want to begin again. And that's exactly what he does as he journeys back to God. And notably, he returns, it says in the text that he returned through the Negev. And this Hebrew word actually means parched land. And and the the author's trying to draw us to something here. You've got the lush Egyptian plain. I think I've got a map somewhere in here. You've got this wonderful Egyptian plain down south. And he's gone all the way down here to where the well-watered Nile River is keeping everything green. And he's going to go back through this desert area on the way to the promised land. He's got to trust God. I mean, he's bringing herds through this desert, desert arid land. And it's like the, the narrative is moving back to a place of trust from self-reliance to trusting in God. Amazingly, because God is a God of grace, Abram is able to begin again. And he starts with worship. Now, it's interesting that Abram does that because we don't often respond that way when we stumble, do we? Be really honest with yourself for a moment. How do you often respond when you mess up royally? 
And I'm not talking about like an innocent mistake. I mean, maybe think in your life a moment where you feel, you've felt icky. You felt like, I have morally messed up. What are our tendencies? It's, it's not usually what Abram's doing here. Our first reaction sometimes is to hide in shame. This is, this is the first reaction of the first sinners on the planet, Adam and Eve. When they mess up, they hide in shame from God, and we have the same propensity in ourselves. Because of sin, when we mess up, sometimes we're so embarrassed, we, we shrivel away from God. We're too embarrassed to approach him, and we, we hide. Maybe it's as simple as you just stop praying. Maybe you start ghosting some of your friends at church, and maybe you're, you're one of the people that suddenly is not at church anymore. It's just too hard. This is our tendency. What do we do when we stumble? We, we sometimes hide in shame. Other of us try to blame shift. Have you ever noticed this tendency in yourself? Well, if, if God hadn't put this kind of strain in my life, I wouldn't have messed up. I mean, I, I had been praying that he would do X and Y and Z, and if he would just have provided these things, I wouldn't have been in the position to make this failure. Do you see what we're doing in that moment? We're saying the blame is on God or the blame is on others. That's what we do when we stumble. Our first response might be to hide in shame or our first reaction might be to shift the blame on others. And amazingly in this moment, after messing up royally, Abram does neither. Abram immediately goes back to the beginning. He returns to the place of worship, and in repentance, in humility, in worship, he returns to God because God is a God of grace. He can begin again. Some of us are here today, and maybe recently you've felt that stumble in your walk. And maybe you're even right now in a bit of shame or, or blame shifting. And, and I, I want to speak. I want to say maybe God today is throwing down a top rope to you. And he is inviting you to get in the harness of faith and say, will you put your weight on me? Will you trust me that I'm a God of grace and you can begin again? It's okay. Let's get climbing. Maybe God's inviting you to do that today. Do you trust him? Is he really a God of grace? Countless scriptures reaffirm this throughout the Bible, but a couple places that I'll go to is Psalm 103. Hear who the God is we trust. Feel the strength of this rope in these scriptures. Psalm 103.10. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, worship him, submit yourself to him in repentance even when you've messed up. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's the rope, do you feel it? Or Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were cleaning ourselves up, no, while we were filthy sinners, in that moment, 
Christ died for you. Test the rope today. Do you need to return to him? Maybe God this morning is inviting you to begin again. Begin again, a journey of faith. Because God is a God of grace. This is how we can respond when we stumble. It's how we walk by faith after we stumble. But there's more for Abram in chapter 13. He's not just returning to his journey of faith after stumbling, but now he's going to have to walk by faith in the midst of strife. In the midst of strife. It's interesting, in the the very first test of Abram's faith, he comes into the promised land And amazingly, he's supposed to come to this amazing place. God calls him out and says, go to the land that I will show you. He ends up there, and it says in chapter 12 that there's a famine. Now, we we presume that the famine was caused by a drought. That's most likely. And that's really interesting, to go to a brand new place, to leave everything that's familiar, and end up in a place that immediately has a drought, and it doesn't provide any food. So the first test of Abram was a test of scarcity. There's a lack of something. And Abram's being tested, do you trust God? And he doesn't. He flees to Egypt, relies on himself. But the second test that we see that Abram experiences, it's not a test of scarcity. In chapter 13, it's a test of prosperity. Prosperity. Test a man's character in the midst of adversity you'll get a a good judgment of the kind of man that person is. Test a man's character in abundance. Then you will really know their character. Give him millions of dollars and see what kind of person he is. That's a test. And here's Abram. He's come out of Egypt miraculously, providentially. He has come out of Egypt incredibly wealthy, incredibly wealthy, mind-boggling wealthy, and not just himself, but his nephew Lot. So much so that by the uh, time we get to chapter 13 and verse 5, Abram and Lot are trying to dwell back in the promised land, and there's not enough resources Like their goats are eating the weeds and it's gone, (laughs) everything. And what happens? Amazingly, another test. Now, because there's so much that they have, God's provided them so much, their herdsmen start fighting. And you could picture it out in the fields. What, What started as a disagreement escalated to an argument that escalated into a perennial conflict that gets to the point where it's all out strife. The Hebrew word here is a strong word. This isn't a petty disagreement. This is, we've reached a breaking point between your herds and my herds. What are we gonna do? How do we respond in faith in the midst of strife and conflict? Now, Abraham, he's he's a nomad who lived 4,000 years ago, so we couldn't possibly relate to him because none of us get in conflict at all, do we? Right? Strife. How does Abram respond? This is shocking. (laughs) Think about this. Abram's 75 years old. He has generously sort of adopted his nephew Lot, who lost his dad, into his family. 
He brings Lot along. Remember, the promise isn't for Lot. The promise of God and the call is for Abram. And because of following Abram, Lot has now become tremendously wealthy. And, and when they get into this disagreement, what would be the most natural response to this disagreement as a 75-year-old patriarch who did all the work to get here and this cute little boy named Lot is, is getting into an argument with Abram? What do you think he would do? You know what I'd do? I'm pulling rank at this moment. Lot, this has been really nice. It's been a fun trip. Thanks for tagging along, but you're clearly younger than me, and actually everything that you have is probably because of me, so why don't you just skedaddle, okay? The promise is for me, not you. Get lost. That seems natural. Pull rank, pull seniority. It's not what Abram does. Look at the text. The narrative, this section starts in verse five. They both had tons of flocks. The land could not hold them and there was strife between them. And look at verse eight, what Abram says. First he says, let there be no strife, no animosity, no conflict between you and me because in your herdsmen and my herdsmen, we're kinsmen, we're brothers, he's saying. We're family, this isn't good. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. And if you take the right, I'll go to the left. Do you you see what he's doing? He's giving Lot first dibs. And this isn't a small decision. This isn't like you pick what you want to eat because we all ordered a family meal from Dickie's Barbecue. This is a big decision. I don't have a, this is a bad analogy, but let's just try it. So imagine you uh, are looking for a home in a tight housing market and you find your dream home. You put in an offer and you learn that one of your close friends actually also put an offer in for that home. Tight market. And the, the trouble is this is a dream home at a dream price. And your offer was accepted first. And legally, the house is going to you. Can you imagine, you you got every right to buy this house. Can you imagine going to your friend and saying, hey, here's the deal. Let's not have animosity between us. You know what, you take first pick. If you want the house, you take it and I'll find something else. And if you don't take it, I'll take the house. It's kind of like that. Uh, This is a big choice. And, And when you think about the promise of God, it feels like, isn't the promise in jeopardy right now? I wish I could shake Abram and be like, what are you doing, brother? God promised you this land. Take this land. Why would you roll the dice and let Lot pick it? He could swoop in and steal the land. But that doesn't happen. Not according to God's providence and sovereignty. How does Abram respond to strife and conflict? He has Leviticus 19 kind of love. He loves his neighbor as himself and he defers to Lot and allows him to choose first. That's the kind of response that he has. That took an act of faith. That takes a dependence on God that says in the midst of conflict and strife, I'm gonna make a decision by faith because this God I'm learning is a God of provision so we can trust him with generous reconciliation. 
generous reconciliation. Isn't that what Abram does? He's learned, he's slowly learning who this God is, that this is a God who provides, and he takes a step of faith and he says, because my God provides, I can be generous in reconciliation rather than self-centered. This is our human tendency when we're entangled in strife. Man, I love to be right. I hate that about me, but it feels so good. It feels so good to be right. Have you ever won an argument? Come on, it feels great. Oh, I'm right. And Abram, look, God's God's saying in, in conflict, if you trust God, that God provides, you can let go of the right to be right and be generous in reconciliation. Oh, I'll let it go. I don't need to be right. God knows. He sees. He's the God of justice. He'll work things out. I don't have to try and rely on myself to, to make a way through this conflict and strife. That's my tendency. What's yours? Abram's learning faith. He's learning who this God is, that this is a God who provides. And in the midst of strife and conflict, God's inviting Abram and he's inviting you and me to tug on the rope of faith and say, in the midst of conflict, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Maybe you're entangled in strife today. I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe, maybe it was a bad business decision with a business partner that's gone south. Maybe you've got a family member that you guys don't talk anymore. It's gone sour. God's inviting you today. Do you trust me? Do you trust me to be generous in reconciliation and to be a peacemaker because you have faith in me? It's what God's inviting us to today. In the New Testament, and the rest of Scripture supports this. We go to a lot of places, but here's one verse to strengthen our faith. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. God calls us to be peacemakers in the midst of strife and conflict. That could be a step of faith for you today. How do we walk by faith? How do we walk by faith when we've stumbled? We trust a God of grace and so we can begin again. How do we walk by faith in the midst of conflict? We trust that God's a God of provision and so we can be generous in reconciliation. But there's a, a third principle I see in this text and it's the issue of decision making. Decision making. How do we walk by faith in everyday decisions? And I wanna suggest and I'll unpack this because God is a God of promises, we can trust him as our guide. How do we walk by faith with decisions? There's a, a beautiful thing happening in the Hebrew narrative of this text. The author is intentionally contrasting the way that Lot and Abram are going about making a decision. And there's parallelism that's happening here. It's repeated throughout the text. I'll highlight a couple areas. They're about to make a decision and both Lot and Abram do the same thing. In verses 10 and 14, we have Lot and Abram looking around and seeing. 
In verses nine and 15, we have both being offered all the land. And then again, in verses 10 and 15, we have both traveling to their allotted portions. And there's, there's parallelism. There's this repetition happening in the text. And the author is trying to get the reader to notice a contrast in the parallelism. He wants you to compare how is Lot making a decision and how is Abram making a decision. And let's contrast them then. How does Lot go about making a decision? Notice Lot, he's the first to make the decision. Abram generously defers the choice to Lot. Lot gets first dibs, and you notice something. Lot does this. Lot trusts his own judgment in making a decision with what his eyes could see. That's what Lot does. (laughs) This is strange, but it's also very logical. I don't really blame Lot. I'm I'm a pretty logical person too, and, and he does what any logical person I think would do. Abram offers him first dibs, and so what is What does Lot do? He opens his eyes, he starts looking around. This is like old country buffet. I wanna wanna see my options before I put anything on my plate here. Hold on, okay? He looks around, and remember, they have just been through a famine in the dirt they're standing on now. They've returned between Bethel and Ai, they're standing there, and there's just been a famine. And Lot's making a logical decision here. Does he wanna settle where there was just a famine? No, he's looking for something that looks a lot like Egypt. In fact, that's actually what the text says, that it it looked like the Garden of Eden. It looked like the land of Egypt. He sees a river, the Jordan Valley, and he sees that it's lush, it's well watered. Whether there's rain or not, there's a river that's gonna supply that land. And he looks down and he says, that's the place I wanna go because he's making a judgment with his eyes. It's logical. And the only problem is the text is giving lots of foreshadowing. Do you notice how many times? It's really ominous. What kind of decision is Lot making? In the text, it says uh, in verse 12, for example, he moved his tent as far as Sodom. So he's moving way down south, kind of near the Dead Sea uh, in the Jordan Valley. And verse 13, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And you think, what, what is that doing there? And it's foreshadowing. That's the, the author's kind of hinting. He's like, warning, he made a bad choice. And by Genesis 19, it's a really bad choice. See, with his eyes, this was the logical choice, a well-watered area, but he didn't trust God. Something is, is noticeably missing from Lot's decision-making process. The text gives no reference whatsoever to God as Lot makes his decision. No act of worship, no altar, no prayer. Lot doesn't even say thank you to Abram. He's the little nephew, wouldn't it? What are you thinking? And Lot said, well, thank you very much, Abram. I'll take you up on your offer. I will go to the Jordan Valley. No thank you, no gratitude. Uh, John Calvin probably sums it up well. When he commented on this decision that Lot made, he said this, this is John Calvin, he said, Lot, when he fancied he was about to live in paradise, was nearly plunged into the depths of hell. See, he picked the neighborhood of Sodom and Gomorrah. Seemed like a good choice. Trusted in himself. Ended up making a terrible choice. Abram makes a choice really differently. 
See, Lot used his eyes and relied on himself to make a judgment call. But Abram does the opposite. Abram doesn't trust his own eyes. Abram trusts the God who sees beyond what he can see. That's what Abram does. And he says, okay, God, you promised to take me to a land and you picked this place. I can trust you. Abram turns now, he's learning. He turns from self-reliance and he trusts God with this decision. He only makes the decision, uh, Lot makes the decision after seeing, but Abram's gonna make the decision first to trust God and then God will show him what he sees. Look at verse 14 when, when Abram actually makes this decision. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, only after, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you will see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Abram takes a small step of faith now. He's testing the rope. He's leaning back into the harness. And this beautiful moment happens. God sweeps right in after he takes that small step of faith and he reminds him of his promise. And then he expands the promise to, to reinforce that step of faith. He's like, good job, you're leaning into the rope. Remember my promise. Look at the promise in verse 16. Abram, remember, I will make, I'll give you offspring, but now the promise gets bigger. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. That's quite a promise. I, I tried to Google this, you know, you Google things. And a mathematician uh, recently tried to estimate using math how many grains of sand there are in the world. So he figured out the diameter of an average grain of sand and he used pi at some point and <laughs> he calculated it and his best guess was that the number of grains of sand on the planet Earth is a number with 27 zeros behind it. And we're all like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> or another, 27 zeros, it's hard to wrap our brain around, but it, uh, a single measuring cup, like a cup of flour, a, a cup of sand, on average, grains of sand, depending on their size, has about two million grains of sand in it. Two million in a cup. And God says, this is my promise to you. Abram, I'm not giving you a kid. You're gonna have offspring like the dust of the earth. That's my promise. Wisdom says, under promise and over deliver. That's not the God we serve. He has no need to under promise. He does not exaggerate. He's a God of his word and he will deliver. Abram makes a decision in a different way than Lot. How do we walk by faith with decisions in life? Because our God is a God of promises, we can trust him to guide us, to guide us. Now, what's our tendency though in decision-making? And I was, helped, I read this illustration from Chuck Swindoll about 2D decisions and 3D decisions. And I thought, oh, that's so good. I'm a 2D decision person. 
He describes decision-making this way. We go through life and we either make 2D decisions or 3D decisions as Christians. A two-dimensional decision is flat and is only made on this plane. It's horizontal. I make a decision based on everything I can see on this horizontal plane. I, I take in the information, I make a judgment call, it's between me and this information. A 3D decision is different. It includes this information and my heart, but it goes to a third dimension and it goes vertical. And the decision-making has reference to God, like a prayer. That's a different kind of decision. And folks, you make thousands of decisions every day. I make thousands of decisions every day and most of my decisions are 2D decisions. Right away, no reference to God. Lot made a 2D decision and it ends poorly. Abram makes a 3D decision. God, where do you want me to go? What's your daily decision-making like? Do you make decisions with any reference to God? And I know you're looking for the exemptions right now. You're looking for, well, when I, when I was figuring out who I was gonna marry, I asked him. I considered God. You know, the really big decisions, like I was trying to figure out this medical decision and whether to get this surgery, then I prayed. What about the thousand other decisions? No reference to God. Maybe today, God is throwing a rope to you in some of your decisions. And he's saying, do you wanna test the rope today in your decision-making? Do you wanna lean into the harness of faith and trust me in decision-making? You need 3D decisions to do that, not just 2D. So God, I, I'm trying to figure out this career path and he's inviting you to consider him, to ask him to lead you and give you direction. And you're, you're trying to figure out right now, you're, you're Parents are aging and you don't know how to best care for them. It's confusing. And they have wishes and you have wishes and the doctors have wishes and you've been factoring all the 2D judgment calls. And God is throwing you a rope this morning. He's saying, will you go 3D? Will you trust me? In the, will you just talk to me about this decision? I, I'm God. I want to help you. Will you trust me? And, and you're gonna, you're gonna go to Chick-fil-A this week and you're gonna have a decision between a number one or a number five. <laughs> and it's funny, it's funny. I, you get to that moment, you're like, this is not a God decision. And yet, could it, I'm not, I don't wanna hyper-spiritualize it, but even in the Chick-fil-A drive-through, can you for a moment just say, you know what, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for Chick-fil-A and help guide a decision that stewards my body well. Because I really like number ones. <laughs> They're better, <laughs> right? And you just made a 2D everyday decision, a 3D decision. You just made waiting in the Chick-fil-A drive-through an altar of worship to God in an act of submission, picking number five. 
God throws you ropes every day in every decision, and he's inviting you today. Do you trust me? How do we walk by faith? How do we walk by faith when we've stumbled? Because God is a God of grace. He invites us to begin again. How do we walk by faith in the midst of conflict and strife? Because our God is a God of provision. He invites you to make a choice of generous reconciliation. And and how do we walk by faith in life's decisions, the, the important ones and the small ones? Because God is a God of his promises, he's inviting you to let him guide you in your decisions. These are three principles for how we can begin to take steps of faith and lean into the rope. Church, I don't want to study ropes anymore. I'm done. You don't need to know what this rope is in Greek. Nobody needs that. If God's calling you to a step of faith, he's saying start leaning on the rope. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? I, I, I'm passionate. I want, us to, I want us to become a group of people who walk by faith today, and God's calling us and inviting us. Maybe you're hesitant today, and maybe you're gun-shy. You've tried rock climbing before, and it's scary. If God's pricking you, if he's encouraging you to trust him. I want to finish by beefing up some statistics of how strong this rope is with promises from scripture. And I've shared a a list before like this, but I want to remind us of all the promises that God gives us in scripture. I've got a, a picture on the screen here. Here's just a few of the promises that God gives. Promises from God include to give us wisdom if we ask, to provide a, a, a waiting time and even a, a way out of temptation, to save those who believe in him, that our salvation is secure. He promises to give us hope, to never leave us, to work all things to good, to finish the good work that he's begun in you, to give you rest, and Jesus promises to come back. There's, there's a, just a sampling. Because I, I don't want you to just read the promise to Abram. I want you to know God makes promises to Abram, but he's made promises to you. And I'll finish with one final promise that I think is fitting for this theme today, and it comes from Hebrews. And so I'll close with this. If you're hesitant to trust the rope of faith today, hear these words as we close. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race or the journey of faith that is set before us. Looking to, and here's the promise. Hear this, here's the promise. Looking to Jesus. What does he promise to do? To be the founder of your faith and the finisher of your faith. NIV translates that word finisher or perfecter. He's gonna start it and he's gonna mature it and he's gonna get it across the finish line. 
This is the promise of who Jesus is, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we look to you today as the one who established our faith from the very beginning. And we look to you as the one who will finish and perfect our faith. Lord, we confess to you, we admit our weakness, we admit our propensity to sin, to backslide, and to rely on ourselves more than we rely on you. And we now humbly submit ourselves to you. We ask, according to your grace, would you throw the rope down one more time? According to your grace, would you, would you let us try again because of your great mercy? And then would you not only do that, would you not only give us the rope, but would you coach us to, to put on the harness and start to put our weight of our lives into your hands? Would you gently mature our faith that we would rely on you, Lord, even in conflict or in everyday decisions, help us trust you, Lord, and make us, Jesus, I'm asking now, make us as a community of believers, a people who are known for trusting you. Make us people who leap off the cliff, trusting the rope that you're holding us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.